walking out the back door, actually kind of being pulled along by a mom or a dad, and the kid turns around and yells, help me, please help me. I love those kind of things. I just love it. Uh, so, <clears throat> yeah, that's, uh, that just makes for a Sunday night service, you know. I love the family service. We have a, uh, we have a thing like you have a thing that does a thing over there. What was that, Ben? I mean, seriously. Son, I have taught you better. We, our thing is a lemonade stand that we have at our church, and we put things and activity sheets for the kids, and they fill them out, and they go up and they get a prize. They get gifts and things like that. Things. Yeah, things. Lots of things at the thing place. Oh, seriously. This morning, we talked about the, uh, uh, the mission statement for every believer. We, we looked at Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, and uh, we saw that God has given not just this church a mission to take the, the gospel across the street and around the world, but that that, but that, that uh, particular command was given to every single believer. Every single believer, every one of us in this room has that responsibility if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And really and truly, your, your conference, I love the theme. Uh, the theme is send, send. And, and I will tell you that that is a, that is a great theme. Uh, Jesus said to the disciples, so send I you, right? And, uh, and that's, that's what this is all about. Missionaries are called and sent. And, and uh, we could spend some time in Acts 13 and, and really understand a little bit about what that's going to be about. But you know, before we do that, we need to talk about the fact that if somebody is sent... If somebody is sent, now here's what I'm talking about. I mentioned a little bit this morning. If God actually reaches down into Trinity Baptist Church and, and puts his hand on, a, on a, a, a boy or a girl or a teenage uh, young man or young lady or a young adult or a family, if God reaches down and speaks to somebody in this place, is God big enough to get them where he wants them to be to do what he's called them to do. Now, you're quick to say amen, and I like, you keep saying amen, that helps me a lot when you do that. But I want you to think good and hard about that tonight. Is God big enough? If he reaches down into this church family, is God big enough to pull that off? I have a friend, I haven't seen him in years, I think he would still call me a friend, as a missionary, and uh, he was a missionary who was called to China, couldn't get in, ended up going to, a, uh, going to Taiwan actually. His name was Dan, and uh, Dan told the story of when he was called to be a missionary, he he was called to be a missionary. He went off to Bible college, did well in Bible college. If you ever met Dan, he was one of those likable guys. He was an asset 
in his church. He was a great guy. And Dan got to, um, he got through Bible college well. He did an internship at a church and then he and his wife, he got married, he and his wife were approved as missionaries and they went and they started language school. Chinese, I guess, is a pretty hard, is it Mandarin, Corey, that you learn, right? And, and Mandarin is just not easy. And he did really, really well learning to read and write Mandarin. I mean, really, really well. He could read and write it. But he could not have a conversation for anything. I don't understand that. I, I, the only, I, I, I had to learn a new language. I'm originally from Alabama. So if you ever leave Alabama, go to Florida, you've got to learn how to talk all over. I mean, it's really different. Uh, TARS is not, uh, TARS is what you put on your car. It's not what's on the road, <laughs> right? <clears throat> I mean, there's a, lot, there's a lot of those sound-alike, you know, there's a lot of those sound-alike words that aren't the same thing where I'm come from. But I've never had to try to learn a different language like that. And Dan got so discouraged. He got so, so, so discouraged. Well, let me ask you something. Is God big enough to help Dan? I promise you he is. Look at Psalm 139. And let's begin reading in verse 1. O Lord... Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all of my ways. Lord, bless your word. Help us to consider it tonight. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I read about a businessman who'd suffered, suffered some financial losses and then his wife got seriously ill. It seemed like everything in his life was just going downhill. He came home one day discouraged, almost despondent. Had a little five-year-old girl who sensed her father's mood and she sat down next to him and then crawled over into his lap. And said, Daddy, yesterday in Sunday school, my teacher said that God raised Jesus back to life after he'd been dead for three days. She said, Daddy, it takes a great big God to do that, doesn't it? It does take a great big God. And that question lifted her father out of his depression because he realized that the God who raised his son was more than big enough to help his family through the difficult time, the crisis that they were going through. It begs the question for all of us tonight, just how big is your God? Just how big is your God? Before we talk about faith promise missions, before we talk about putting, uh, putting a card in the offering next Sunday uh, that says this is how much I plan uh, to take part in faith promise giving, <clears throat> you got to ask yourself the question, just how big is God? Just how big? Actually, I'd rather have those preserves. I don't know if that down. <clears throat> I mean, that would probably feel good going down. Let me ask the question, 
in a, in a little different way to put it to the test, to answer the question, just how big is your God? Let me ask it this way. Does the way that you pray, the way that you handle your finances, the way that you respond to pressure, the way that you stand for truth, the way that you express your worship, do those things reveal a big God or a little God in your life? Do your thoughts of God glorify Him or grieve Him? Do your prayers to God bless Him or insult Him? Does your giving show that you trust God enough to give Him your tithe and believe that He will meet all of your needs? Look at a quote from Tozer. Look at what he said. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What you think of God will determine your spiritual future. Those are powerful statements. For too many people, the older we get, the smaller our God seems to become. But it should just be the other way around. It should be that the longer we go in the Christian life and the more that we grow in our faith, the bigger our God ought to be. Too many of us have little faith in a little God when we should have a great big faith in a great big God. So just how big, just how great is our God. An ancient king who lived 3,000 years ago wrote a song that gives us the most exhaustive description of just how big and just how great our God is. Our text from King David will tell us how we can learn why the greatest knowledge that we can ever have is the knowledge of just how big and just how great our God is. And so if our God is so great, and if our God is so big, just how great should our trust in Him be? Just how great should our faith in Him be if He is so big and He is so uh, uh, great? Can we trust Him? This evening, let me show you from this psalm three attributes of God that remind us just how great our trust in Him should be. The first thing I want you to see is that I can trust God because He is omniscient in His perception. He is omniscient in His perception. That word omniscient comes from the Latin omni, which means all, and the Latin word sentia, which means to know. It literally means all-knowing. God knows everything about everything and everyone all of the time. All the time. Have you ever been around somebody who acted like a know-it-all? Maybe when he was a teenager. Maybe when I was a teenager. Weren't we all that way at some point or another? I mean, the truth is, with God, it's not acting. Listen to one of my favorite verses in 1 John. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 20, it says this, God is greater than our hearts and knoweth all things. 
God is greater than our hearts and knoweth all, all things. You know what that means? That means that you can't tell God anything because he already knows it. And one more thing, it also means the devil can't come up and tell God something about you that he doesn't already know. And he's already said, I love you anyway. That ought to encourage you a little bit tonight. And listen, God's knowledge of us is not intellectual. It is personal. He doesn't just know about you. He knows you. He knows you better than you know you. And quite frankly, that can be a frightening thought if I think about that too long. I heard about a prosecuting attorney in a small town who was trying a case. And he called his first witness, who was an older lady that had lived in the town all of her life. And she happened to be the town gossip. He said to her, Mrs. Jones, do you know me? And she said, well, yes, I know you, Mr. Smith. I've known you since you were a little boy. And he smiled until she said, and frankly, you've been a big disappointment to me all your life. You lie, you cheated on your first wife, you manipulate people, you talk about them behind their backs, you charge them way too much money for your services, and you don't have the brains to realize you're never going to amount to anything more than a two-bit paper pusher. Yes, Mr. Smith, I know you. Well, that lawyer was stunned, not knowing what else to do. He pointed across the room and said, Mrs. Jones, do you know that defense attorney over there? She said, oh, yes. I've known him. I've known Mr. Bradley since he was a kid too. In fact, I used to babysit him for his parents. He's also been a tremendous disappointment to me. He is lazy. He has a drinking problem. He cheated his way through law school. He can't find any woman who will marry him. And he's one of the most crooked lawyers in this state. Yes, I know him. And at that point, the judge's gavel came down. And with a thunderous broom, he said, silence. I want both counsels to approach the bench. And when they got there, in a very quiet voice, he said with fire in his eyes, if either one of you asks her if she knows me, I'll throw you under the jail. (laughs) Can I tell you tonight, God knows you. He knows you. And first of all, he knows who you are. Verse 1 says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Now that Hebrew word for search literally, literally means to pierce through or to dig. In other words, God sees right through us. He can see into the hardest heart. His vision can look into the very core of our being. Down in your heart where nobody can get to but you and God. He sees where you're clean and where you're dirty. Right where you are, he knows where you are. And he knows when you're doing the right thing and the wrong thing, when you're good and when you're bad. It's not Santa Claus who knows whether you've been bad or good. It's God, and he knows it all the time. He knows who you are, and he also knows what you think. Verse 2 says that, Thou knowest my down-sitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought apart, uh, afar off. God sees our thoughts as if they were on a screen. One man wrote this, God can read your mind just as easily as you can read an email. And listen to this, the very second your thoughts are being broadcast into the headphones of God. I mean, right now, it's happening. Right now, you can't keep a secret from God because he already knows everything. He knows who you are. He knows what you think. He knows where you go. Look at verse 3. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. 
Whether you get down or whether you get up, God's eyes are on you. God knows every place you go, everything you do, every step on every path you take. He knows the what, when, the how of everything you do at any given moment. Verse 5, he, thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Spurgeon wrote, if God has set us where we be and beset us wherever we be. Behind us there is God recording our sins or in grace blotting out the remembrance of them. And before us there is a God foreknowing all our deeds and providing for all of our wants. God never takes his eyes off of you. You are never out of his sight. You are never off of his mind. That's a good God, isn't it? God knows who you are. He knows what you think. He knows where you go. And he knows what you say. Verse 4, for there's not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it all together. That's incredible. God knows what you say. He knows what you are going to say even before you say it. He knows your heart, your mind, your deeds, your words. And that's why David said in verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. What David's saying is I can't wrap my mind around that. God knows me north to south, east to west, inside out, and he still loves me, and he still wants me in his family. Man, that ought to encourage all of us tonight. So how big and how great is your God? You can trust him in a great way because he is omniscient. He knows everything about me, who I am, what I think, where I go, what I say. I can trust him in a great way. And secondly, I can trust him in a great way not only because he's omniscient, but also because he's omnipresent in his person. Look at verse 7. Look at verse 7. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? I think this is getting better. Y'all think this is getting better? It's getting easier to preach. I may be here a while. I'm just kidding. Sort of. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I free, flee from thy presence? Yoga, Yogi Berra once made a great observation. He said, I've noticed that everywhere I go, there I am. Everywhere you go, here's the big news. Everywhere you go, God's already there. God's there. Unlike us, God never has to go anywhere Because anywhere where is, God's there already. Listen to this. Death cannot take you away from God. Psalm 139 verse 8 says, If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. You see, when you leave this life, if you know Jesus as your Savior, God is there ready for you in heaven. He's with you here during your dying days. And when you get to heaven, you'll still be with him. That's going to be a good day. Man, I'm looking forward to my last day. I don't know when it's going to be. There's the old song, Jesus may come today, glad day. Man, if he'd come today and take us all out of here, I wouldn't have to preach the rest of the week. And I'd be just happy, happy, happy to quote Phil Robertson. I would be happy to go home to be with Jesus today. 
Because death cannot take us away from the presence of God. Second, distance can't take us from the presence of God. Look at verses 9 and 10. If, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uppermost parts of the sea, even there thy hand shall lead me and thy right hand shall uh, hold me. No matter how high you can fly or how far you can swim, you'll still be in the presence of God. The next time you get in an airplane, you're flying above the clouds. Remember Psalm 104 and verse 3 says, God makes the clouds his chariot. Who walketh upon the wings of the wind. You can't go any place that God's not already there. And then darkness can't take you from the presence of God. Look at verse 12. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. God doesn't need night vision goggles in the dark. His eyes of light can pierce through any darkness. And that's why nothing can hide you or take you from the very presence of God. I used to hear my mother sing a song and, and the words go something like this. Uh, he, he's so high you can't get over him. He's so low you can't get around, uh, under him. He's so wide you can't get around him. You got to go in at the door. Maybe you heard that song. I don't even know where it came from. But that's what I'll tell you. God is always with us because he's omnipresent. You know what it means? It means whether you're here or whether you're in Asia or Africa or Europe, whether you're in Israel or South America, when you leave to go there, you don't have to wonder if God's going to meet you there. God's already there. And God has been working ahead of time. How am I doing on time? Doing okay? 15 minutes. All right, I'm going to throw this one in there. Years ago, I took my first mission trip to go with some of the missionaries that were, were sent out of our church in St. Petersburg, Florida. And we went to the UK, actually, and uh, our missionary was watching over the work of another missionary. And while we were there, I preached on a Sunday, and there was a man... Uh, who raised his hand that he was lost. And so the, the missionary that I was talking to, uh, we talked about it, and he said, well, you know, he's only been coming a few times. And, and I said, oh, boy, that's something, you know. That's something. I can't believe. He said, he said, first of all, Pastor, you ask people to raise their hands if they were lost. They just don't do that here. I said, I, nobody told me that. I asked the question. If you're saved, raise your hand. If you don't know Jesus but you want to know him, raise your hand. I'm dumb enough to just do that. And they were forgiving enough to, answer, to, to respond to me, and the man raised his hand. And so we, we, I said, well, if, if he raises his hand, we got to talk to him. If we think there's a chance he, this guy doesn't know Jesus, we got to talk to him. So we went over there, and in my mind, in my mind, I'm on the mission field. Right, I'm on the mission field, so nobody, this guy doesn't even know who God is. Can I tell you, we sat in his living room by 15 minutes. He was on his knees at the, on, in front of the coffee table in his living room, and he called on Jesus to save him. You know why? Not because we were there. It wasn't even about the, the sermon that I had preached on Sunday. He'd had a family that had been witnessing to him and praying for him and praying for him. What am I saying? What I'm saying to you is God was there way before I ever was. 
God was working on that man's heart. He already had a witness in that man's life. God was already doing something and all we had to do was be ready to pull the trigger when we saw that the gun was aimed in the right place. I'm not sure that was a good analogy, but but you understand what I'm saying, right? All we got to do is just ask the question, do you want to trust Jesus as your Savior? He said, yes, I do. We went back, that was, we were back in church the next Sunday. That guy was telling everybody that he got saved. And his mom and his sister and his wife and his brother-in-law, they started giving testimony. Let me tell you how God has been working. Let us tell you what God has been doing. Let me tell you, it doesn't matter where you go, God's already there. I used to tell missionaries, you're going to places that never heard of God. Oh, that's not true. Any place you go in this world, people worship something. They do. You go any place in this world, people worship something. Why? Who taught them that? God did. Romans chapter 1 tells us God wrote it on the heart of every person that there's something bigger than who they are. Oh, that's another message, but I'm telling you it's a good one. You can't go anywhere and you can trust God because God is omniscient. He knows everything about you, who you are, where you go, what you say. You can trust Him because He's omnipresent. Neither death nor distance nor darkness can keep you from God. Finally, you can trust God in a great way because of His omnipotence. Because He is omnipotent in His power. Now that word omnipotent, we talked a little bit about it this morning. We talked about the power of God, the power of the Spirit of God. It means all, it means all and powerful, omnipotens, all powerful. So it literally means that God is omnipotent. God cannot do anything that does not contradict his word or his character. Obviously, there are some things God cannot do. God cannot lie. God cannot die. God cannot do wrong. God can't tempt other people to do wrong. But anything consistent with his character, God can do. And to illustrate just how powerful God is, David does something surprising. He doesn't point to the stars and the sun and the moon and the galaxies or even the universe. Instead, he simply points to the human body. David was no doctor. He had no medical training. He didn't know early what, nearly what we know today about what a finely tuned engine the human body is. But thousands of years ago, he could write and say about the human body that it must have been created by an amazing creator God. Look at verse 13. For thou hast possessed my reins... Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. David is saying, I'm not here because of mother nature, fate, or chance. God formed my inward parts. God created me in my mother's womb. And in verse 15, he goes on to say, My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written which in contempt were fashioned as when as yet there was none of them. Our bodies are woven together. That's what he's talking about here. Uh, there's so many facts, and I'm not, I'm not going to waste your time on them. Uh, I'll tell you one, your, 
Your brain can store 100 trillion facts. Your mind can handle 15,000 decisions a second. Your nose can smell 10,000 different odors. The human body is not some evolutionary accident that was thrown together by chance. It was purposefully put together by a great God. And that's why David excitedly proclaimed in verse 14, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. And we could continue to talk about the body, but look, David begins to talk about how God thinks. Look at verse 17. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more, than, more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Uh, with thee. David can't even get his head around God's mind. God's mind contains more thoughts than all the thoughts and all the minds that have ever been put together. They're not only greater in quantity, but they're greater in quality. The simplest thought God ever had is far higher than the greatest thought the most brilliant person ever had. That's what the prophet Isaiah said. Isaiah 55 verse 8 God told him, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. If God is this great, if God is this great, then what problem do I have that God cannot solve? And the answer is simple. You don't have a problem so big God can't solve it. David concluded the song this way. Search me, O God, and know my heart, verse 23. And try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. When God searches our hearts, he sees the envy and pride and jealousy and selfishness that we all have. When he reads our thoughts... He sees the lust and the bitterness, the greed that we all deal with. So how do we ever get a relationship with him? I'll tell you how. Because he knew it. And he loves us anyway. And he made it possible when Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins. He did the inconceivable. God became man and he took your sin and my sin. He understood our greatest need when we didn't understand it. And he gave, gives to us eternal life. And he says, and they shall never perish. What a great thing. How great a God it is that would do that for us. You trust him. You trust him with your soul. You trust him with your present. You trust him with your future. What is it that you need to trust God with? I mentioned my friend Dan, the missionary. My friend Dan, he was so discouraged about not being able to have a conversation with another person in Mandarin that he just, I mean, he was overwhelmed. And another missionary friend said, hey, Dan, why don't you set your studies aside for just a little bit? He said, I'm, I'm going on a, a trip. We're going to have to walk, and we've got to go 
I don't remember what it was, 10, 12 days out. There's a village over there where they want a church plant, and there's some people that are gathering, and, and so we, we need to go out and see them. It will just do you a lot of good to get out of town, get out of the school mindset, and just spend a little time just walking and talking, and, and I'll just, I want to be an encouragement to you. And they did that. They started walking, and they went. And in every village they came to, the missionary would ask when they get on the outskirts of the village, of course, two uh, non-Chinese men, two taller white guys coming through their village. The kids would come running, and they would ask the question, are there any Christians in your village? And one by one, village after village, no, no, there's no Christians here, no Christians here. And they would go on to the next. And they were out a couple of days that way, and they were climbing up towards the top of another mountain, and they came to another village, and they asked the same question. Some kids came out to the edge of the village, and they asked the question, are there any Christians in this village? And the, the children said, yes, there is. And they said, where? And, and, and the kids said, if you go right through the, the main street of the village on the outside, you'll see it. It's the White House on the right. You know, it's that, that's where the Christian lives. And they said, okay. And they, they walked on through. And when they wound through the little village and got out there. Sure enough, they saw the house. And Dan said, it's really funny. He said, they went through a gate. There was no fence. There was just a gate. <laughs> but they went through the gate anyway, you know, and walked up the path. They knocked on the door. And a really old Chinese man opened the door. And they asked him, um, are you a Christian? And he said, oh, yes, I am a Christian. I've been waiting for you. And so please come in. And so Dan and, and the man figured the kids had come up, run ahead of them and told them they were coming. And, and, and the, the man brought him in the house and he said, did you bring it? Well, did we bring what? Did you bring the book? He said, oh, yes, we brought the book. He's talking about the Bible. Yes, I, I brought, we brought the book. He said, oh, good, good. He said, I need to go get my children. Will you wait? He said, yeah, we'll wait. They're in the village, yes. And so he went and gathered all of his children in. And they began, to, they began to tell him about, he said, he said, please tell them about Jesus. Tell them about Jesus. And so they, he began to tell them about Jesus. And one by one, the old man's children, his sons, and then their wives, and then the grandkids, and one by one, every person in that house was saved. Every person in that home was saved. And the old man said, can we sing the song? And he couldn't imagine what in the world they were going to sing. And the old Chinese man, they said he began to rock and sing in Mandarin, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And Dan and the missionary, of course, were just weeping because everybody in the house even the ones that just got saved knew the song because the grandfather had been teaching that song to them all these years. And they asked him, Grandfather, how long ago? He said, I've been waiting for you. How long have you been? You're not talking about us coming up the path. He said, no, no, no. I've been waiting, and I can't remember the number of years, honestly, folks, but it was something in the neighborhood of 20 years. 
He said, 20 years ago, give or take, a man came through here like you are, walking through the village, and he stopped, and he told me about Jesus. And he told me that I was a sinner, and he gave me essentially the, the plan of salvation. And he said, I called on the Lord, and I asked him to save me. And then he taught me the song. Jesus loves me, this I know. And he said, I was so happy to know uh, that I don't have to worry about all these false gods. I'm so happy to know the one true God. I'm so happy to know that I'm on my way to heaven. It's the greatest thing. And he said, I asked him, can you stay and talk to my children? And he said, no. He said, I can't, I have to go. I've got a meeting on. He said, but here's what you do. You start praying. And when you pray, this God that I'm talking to you about who loves you so much, he will send somebody. Meanwhile, you tell them what you know. And that man told him what he knew. And he kept talking to him about Jesus. And he didn't have a great understanding. He didn't have the Bible. He didn't know how to read or write. Man, they had a celebration. You see, Dan had been used in that place. It was Dan that read the Bible to that whole family. Dan was so encouraged when he left there. And man, they they went on. And you can imagine that they were on this just cloud nine kind of thing as they were leaving that village. They didn't get too far out when the other missionary who was in the lead stopped and said, Dan, wait a minute. He said, Tell me, when were you called to be a missionary? And Dan started telling the story about when he was at Shady Grove Youth Camp in Central Florida, how God reached down in that youth camp and called him to be a missionary to the Chinese people. And they started doing the math. And the day that old man, over on a mountain on the edges of China and Taiwan, began to pray on this side of the world... God began to answer that prayer in the life of a kid at a camp. I'm going to ask you a question. Just how big and how great is your God? You might just be the answer to a prayer that somebody's been praying for a long, long time. But there's two things you got to be willing to do. One, you've got to be willing to acknowledge that God is who he is. That he is great and he wants to use you in his great plan in this world. And secondly, you've just simply got to surrender your life. And say, God, whatever it is, if it's about me giving, I'll give. If it's about me going, I'm willing to go. Because you're a great God, I can have a great faith that you will do what you want to do with me, in me, and through me. As Pastor Ben comes, let's pray together. Lord.